the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you once again from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM radio on this uh, Saturday, July 27th. And uh, I can't believe how quickly, how fast the year is going through. I already go, I mean, 4th of July just occurred, and uh, we're almost halfway through, uh, well, we're over halfway through uh, through July. Uh, school's going to be starting in another few weeks, my gosh. So anyway, uh, we've got uh, Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies, and he's going to be chatting with us in a little while about a recent trip that he took to Juarez, Mexico. Uh, that's the other side of El Paso. And uh, he's going to report on the games, literally the games that are being played by some of the migrants uh, to enter the United States. Now, let's uh, let's remember that um, recently President Trump cut a deal with Mexico where people that are claiming asylum, uh, they are uh, they are going to have to wait in Mexico uh, while their asylum claims are being uh, are, are being uh, investigated while they're being processed. Well, what's happening is a lot of people recognize that, that they uh, are not really fleeing asylum. They're just saying, or, or looking for asylum. They're just uh, saying that. They're not fleeing violence per se, although the uh, mainstream media, the, the liberals would really, really like to make, make believe like there is a, a huge uh, violent problem in, in Central America. Most of these folks are not fleeing that. They are just coming up here because, well, because they want to be in, in America. And uh, so what's happening to a lot of these folks who are now having to stay in Mexico to wait for that asylum claim, what is happening now is that uh, they're going home. They're deciding, well, they're not going to get asylum claim because uh, they're not fleeing violence. And so they're just going to go home. And uh, the U.N. has uh, established a, a uh, some buses that are actually taking people home. Now, this is uh, just a trickle of the torrent that uh, is coming in, but uh, it's uh, it's a beginning. The other thing that's happening is uh, that Mexico is putting a lot of pressure on uh, folks that are entering their borders illegally. And uh, a lot of their folks are uh, those folks are beginning to leave. So all in all, uh, it is a bit of good news. There is a silver lining. Uh, in that aspect of it. And Todd Bensman is going to be chatting with us about that. We're also going to be chatting with uh, Mr. Stephen Gushov. Stephen Gushov is uh, the executive director of an organization called Pro-English in D.C. And uh, we wanted to chat with him because we're, I mean, the challenges that we are facing right now with thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands of new immigrants, uh, it's estimated that we might even have a million by the end of the year, uh, a million new immigrants coming into American society uh, how are we going to assimilate them? How are we going to uh, uh, how are we going to get them into society? And uh, the headache uh, is that many of the school districts, uh, the public school districts, are already facing problems. So they're already facing overcrowding. They're already facing uh, headaches. It used to be it used to be when I was growing up that uh, folks in Nuevo Laredo uh, that wanted their kids to go to uh, Laredo public schools would pay a tuition. They would pay. Uh, to have their kids come across the border, come across the river and pay. Well, those days are gone. Now anybody, anybody gets a free education. And that is causing a crisis, for example, in Houston schools, uh, where there are a lot of uh, of, uh, illegal alien children that are competing, literally competing with uh, American children for programs. Uh, You know, a teacher has got to divide their, their attention. Uh, so the issue is, uh, how, are, how are we going to assimilate uh, with language and with culture? How are we going to assimilate a million newcomers, uh, particularly when we've got a lot of folks who don't want to assimilate? 
So uh, we're going to be talking with uh, with uh, Stephen Gushoff about that. Uh, thirdly, and this is uh, this is iffy. I'm not sure if we can get him on before the end of the program, but um, we've got uh, Mr. Tom Vickers, Doctor Tom Vickers, who is um, uh, the uh, director, the organizer of uh, Texas Border Volunteers down on the border. This is a, this is a group of ranchers. Uh, down in the South Texas area, Falfurias area, that uh, organized themselves uh, a while ago to address the issue of illegal aliens crossing their property. And uh, recently, the Washington Post did a uh, an article uh, and uh, called them a militia, called them, you know, this and that. And all these gentlemen, all these people are doing, these are branchers, all they are doing is protecting their private property. And uh, we're going to chat with him. Hopefully, we can get him on the phone. And uh, we're going to chat with him about uh, the crisis that he has been uh, watching build for the past 10 years uh, with illegal immigration. So uh, that uh, plus uh, we're going to we're going to go through our our usual uh, uh, illegal immigration news update uh, as well. So let's go ahead and start with that. In New York, a majority get this. And this is what's fascinating to me about the Democrats. A recent poll in New York showed that a majority of the state voters, a majority of the state voters in New York, including, get this, including 40 percent of the Democratic voters, of the Democrat voters that were said, they oppose the laws that are going to confer benefits to illegal aliens. They oppose it. They, uh, most of the uh, respondents claim that they are very, very concerned about voter fraud. You know, you would think that the uh, that the Democrats would listen to that, but apparently not. Then there's the issue of uh, of Twitter bias. Uh, I myself uh, had a problem uh, last week with uh, Facebook. Uh, in fact, over the weekend with Facebook, where uh, I was put in Facebook jail, so to speak. Um, because of a posting. And uh, the posting, I guarantee, my friends, was extremely innocent. It was a picture of me. It was a picture of me in front of a flag, the, uh, the come and take it flag. Uh, and and uh, for some reason, that uh, was, was uh, offensive to somebody, and, it was, uh, and I was uh, kicked off Facebook for a little bit. So, uh, you know, this uh, what happened was uh, Twitter apparently got very upset that Mary Ann Mendoza, who is leader of uh, what is called the Angel Moms. These are folks who have lost uh, children or loved ones uh, to illegal alien criminals. Uh, In the case of of Mary Ann Mendoza, her son was was murdered uh, by an illegal alien. Uh, She posted a question to Kamala Harris. And uh, rather than allowing the question to be answered or allowed it to be posted, <laughs> Marianne Mendoza was kicked off Twitter. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, you can't make this up. This is this is just amazing. Uh, this is the typical this is the typical situation that we're facing with uh, with social media bias when it's controlled by a big organization like Google, like Facebook, like Twitter. I mean, you know, the folks that are in charge if they don't like what you're saying. Um, they'll 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 punish you. That's all there is to it. Um, also, there was an, a, an interesting report um, in the Wall Street Journal that occurred as to uh, what is happening. Why are all these illegal aliens coming from uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, and, uh, and and other places? Well, and Cameroon, uh, Zaire now too. Turns out, my friends, guess what? And this is what we've been saying for a long, long time. Guess what? They're being encouraged by their home nations. <laughs> their home nations are actually holding. Uh, seminars and explaining to folks how the best way to get to here, uh, how the cheapest way to get here. In some cases, get this, in some cases, like in Zaire and in Cameroon, um, they're helping them make connections with the uh, human traffickers. <laughs> and so these folks, uh, these folks are, are, are being encouraged to come to the, to the United States because they, you know, their, their home countries don't want them. Uh, also, also uh, in that in that aspect of it, um, they are being guided uh, to a large degree as to what to say. Uh, they're being coached as to what to say when they get to the border. So, uh, you know, the majority of them, like we were talking a few moments ago, are claiming asylum. And when you claim asylum, usually what happens is that um, because historically Mexico didn't hold them, then they were moved. They, they were allowed to stay in the United States indefinitely waiting on a hearing. Well, with that, you know, that's beginning to change now as Mexico is beginning to uh, to hold on to these people, to uh, take them and hold them. Uh, on the other hand, Mexico is also de- deporting them as well. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much longer this, uh, this situation is going to go. Of course, uh, one of the things that's happening is that we've got uh, folks on our side, politicians on our side, that are saying that it's a cruel, it is a cruel process. Um, finally, finally, let me, um, uh, another bit of good news here. Uh, last week, the Ninth Circuit, now this is the liberal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in uh, in California, which has historically, historically been extremely, extremely liberal and to the left. Well, they overturned an injunction that stopped the uh, Justice Department from, from uh, providing uh, favorable status to cities that cooperate with ICE. Okay, let me explain that one more time. The court said it is okay for the Justice Department to favor when giving grants, when giving federal money to cities that cooperate with ICE. This uh, really, really is bad news for places like San Francisco, for Los Angeles, for Chicago, for New York, uh, Boston, and uh, to a large degree for San Antonio, because um, these communities have uh, stated that uh, they don't want to cooperate with uh, with uh, ICE and federal immigration agents, particularly uh, during this uh, this uh, uh, effort by the by uh, ICE to uh, track down these criminal aliens. Uh, we had a situation in Tennessee the other day where uh, uh, there were a group of citizens uh, that um, that interfered with ICE arresting a criminal uh, illegal alien, and the police didn't do anything about it. So uh, you know this this court this this court ruling. Uh, I think is going to go a long way, is going to go, go a long way. Finally, 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 there is a law in the books. There is a law in the books that uh, says that uh, ICE and uh, the Border Patrol can remove illegal aliens quickly uh, where, they, uh, where, where a hearing is not necessary, where if they are caught in the act of crossing, if they are caught, uh, you know, apprehended right at the border, they can be deported immediately. Uh, again, this is causing a meltdown among, among some people because um, this law has not been implemented fully, and now all of a sudden it's going to be. And I think that this is uh, something that's going to be moving forward. Of course, it's going to be challenged. Um, you know, I'm waiting for that to happen, but um, you know, it's, at least it's going forward. Uh, at any rate, my friends, uh, welcome to the show. George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLU, KLUP AM Radio, 930 AM Radio. Thank you for being with us. I hope that you will call your friends and tell them that we're on the air and ask them uh, to support us. Also, when we put the podcast on out, uh, I hope that you will uh, share it with folks. So uh, stay tuned. We've got uh, a great program coming up for you, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador, thank you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got one of our uh, regular hosts, or what regular guests, should I say, that comes to, uh, to chat with us and give us an update. And uh, that's Mr. Uh, Todd Benzman, who is with the uh, Center for uh, Immigration Studies. And uh, Todd has uh, been down in Juarez, Mexico, across the river from uh, across the border from from El Paso. Uh, And he's written the latest column and uh, explaining some of the things that he saw. So I wanted to get him on here because there seems to be folks, believe it or not, there seems to be a glimmer of hope of something working to address the issue of this illegal immigration that we've got uh, this uncontrolled border that we've got so welcome to the show todd how are you doing and tell us what did you find what did you see down in uh, juarez yeah well um, i'm doing well i'm still kind of resting up i just got back um, a day ago and um i was on the uh, border the new mexico uh 
border with Mexico and then uh, in the El- ending in the El Paso area to kind of get a snapshot of what's going on. Uh, what's, what, what seems to be happening, I guess the, 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 the highlight of my trip, I, I'd say, would be that I was able to spend time with some of the migrants in uh, Juarez who have been expelled from the U.S. Uh, territory under President Trump's wait in Mexico or uh, remain in Mexico uh, policy, which uh, the purpose of that is to uh, prevent uh, migrants who would apply for asylum in, and wait for their hearings inside the United States to just join the illegal, permanently, forever illegal uh, population in the United States. There's a recognition in the Trump administration that that's what was happening. So, so they were making them wait in Mexico instead. So when they lose their asylum hearing, which is inevitable, almost all of them lose their asylum hearings, uh, they're not in the United States living illegally for years and years. Uh, well, I wanted to see how that was playing out in cities like Juarez because the um, government our government, uh, has moved about, probably expelled about 20,000 of uh, those um, kind of migrants to the border towns. And what I found was I I interviewed three representative uh, migrants. There was a mother of two, so that would be a family unit from Honduras, a single young woman, 22 years old, from also from Honduras, and a uh, young man from Guatemala. All of them had been uh, pushed back under the weight in Mexico policy. And what they told me was, uh, since they're not going to be able to wait for their hearings inside the United States, they're not going to do the hearings at all, and they're going to go home. They want to go home. And had they, and I, when I say home, I don't mean to the nearest safe place. I mean back to the supposedly intolerable uh, country of Honduras and Guatemala. You know, so so terrible that they cannot even live there. They're not going to go to Costa Rica or Argentina or anywhere else or some safer place in Mexico. They're going to go there, and that was something else that kind of struck me uh, since we uh, hear almost constantly about how unlivable those countries are. They're just simply too dangerous. Everybody's about to die or be killed. Now, now, to be sure, to be sure, we need we, we I want the folks, the audience to understand that these folks, these folks are the typical uh, Central Americans that cross into the U.S. legally and otherwise and uh, end up declaring that they have that they want asylum. Uh, it has been the case in the past where they are given an asylum case hearing and then uh, uh, about 92 percent of those folks never appear at the hearings, just kind of disappear into society. And so to avoid that, the president has said that uh, has done, uh, has cut a deal with Mexico where they go back into Mexico and wait for the hearing. And this is where they are saying, well, never mind. <laughs> I don't want to stick around. True? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what I found with these three. It's anecdotal. I don't think anybody's yet. It's still too early to... Um, you know, have uh, a polling uh, or survey or something about all the people that are returning. But I will say that uh, clearly there's enough of them that the United Nations um, uh, IOM, International Office of Migration, has stepped in to provide buses for these returnees to go back to their home countries. Uh, That tells me that there's at least on on a temporary basis a strong demand for transportation to leave Mexico and go back home. So there's going to be thousands of these. Uh, you know, certainly hundreds and hundreds of them would prefer to return to their unlivable countries, supposedly, uh, than, than to not have a chance to live illegally in the United States. I think what people miss a lot of is that the object here has always been not to gain asylum. That would be a nice you know, bonus. But the fact of the matter is, is that none of them get asylum or virtually none of them get asylum. Uh, what they really want is, um, to just live illegally in the United States. That's, that's the object. That's the objective. Uh, but by having to stay in Mexico, uh, for example, uh, one, the mother of two 
had an asylum date five months out in December. So she would have to wait in Mexico until her case. But rather than do that, knowing she's probably going to lose, she's going home. But to be able to live in the United States and lose is a whole different prospect. Right. She could have gotten lost in the in the crowd, and that would have been it, right? She just comes comes in, and, and that's what she said. She said, I, you know, I expected to just come to the United States, and if you have a kid, you get to go live in the United States. You get to go live in America. Um, everybody that she knew in her town that had left was able to do that. They were everybody she knows that went ahead of her is living in the United States. Most of them are probably going to be living illegally in the United States, but that's still preferable to any alternative because we just simply don't have the ability to uh, find and, and remove them. You know, th- this, it really, really shows how they are gaming the system, doesn't it? It was stark. I mean, I interviewed the, the young woman that's about 22 years old. And by the way, your audience can read my piece at CIS.org. It's up on the blog right now. And uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. But the 22-year-old didn't even pretend to say that she was fleeing violence. She said everybody in her town left. It was a ghost town. So the schools were empty. There were no parents. There were no children. So she was like, I might as well join. And everybody she knew had gotten over. And we're living legally or illegally in the United States. It doesn't matter to them. And so she came to pursue what she called the American dream. says, I want the American dream. And I said, well, why don't you just wait for your, her court date was about five or six weeks out. And I said, why don't you just wait for that? And she says, I'm not going to bother because I'll probably lose. And why waste all my weeks and time sitting in Mexico? And then I'll lose anyway, and I'll just be in Mexico. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Incredible. That is just incredible. You know, this is the same story. My understanding that uh, that father and the child that drowned was that they were waiting uh, they had a court date, but they didn't want to wait. The man did not want to wait, and so he went ahead and risked uh, getting across, and, and unfortunately, him and his child drowned. Um, well, I have heard um, a lot from sources uh, that you know some of them are going back home, but others are choosing to just run for the border anyway. Wow. Instead of turning themselves in to Border Patrol, they're trying to evade them. They're called runners. So we're getting more reports about increasing numbers of runners, what they call runners, who have no interest in being caught up again by, they would be immediately deported. So the object there is to get past Border Patrol and into the interior where they would just join the illegal population and nobody will ever hear or see from see, see them again. Right. And over this, the, this weekend, this past weekend on the 20th, uh, the 19th or the 20th of July, there was a uh, about 50 Hondurans that made a um, a rush at the border patrol in the um, in in McAllen, the McAllen area, uh, to try to get across a uh, a bridge. So uh, it looks like desperation is starting to get into some of these folks. Yeah, I mean, where, whereas in 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 pre um, 2019 uh, eras, uh, that was the idea was to get past border patrol. This is before anybody knew that if you applied for asylum, you would get this notice to appear and then just be released on your own recognizance. Uh, in those days, the idea was to avoid the Border Patrol, but I think what's happening is we're returning now to those days. And um, I don't know the particulars of that uh, incident that you're talking about, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if you know most of them had were returnees yeah, under right. the waiting Mexico policy. I wouldn't doubt it at all. Right. Um, it, 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 we've only got a, about a min- minute more here. Tell the folks uh, uh, what conclusions that we can draw from this situation that you've just seen and reported on. Well, the main conclusion, uh, and I guess the lesson learned here, is that if you want to control the border, you have to remove the incentives that are drawing people here, the opportunities to get into the country and be illegal and be here illegally that's a massive incentive without that if you remove that and the trump administration seems to really understand that the migrants the crisis that that the migrants that are making the crisis right now are people are made up of people who um are gaming the system are are intending to uh get to gain the system because they know they can get in and they're incentivized to do it there has to be a, deter- a removal of that incentive 
And I think these policies are removing that incentive. It's, it's not just the weight in Mexico policy. I mean, I saw that. But it's also um, the Mexican military uh, in the northern part of the country that are pulling migrants off, right literally out of the river, and bringing them back to the interior and making them do it all over again. They wow. release them, keep some of them for a while, but, but the Mexican military is doing some interdiction in the interior of its country. It is also making the trip difficult. They're removing the incentive, making it harder to do. And I, th- I think ultimately, uh, you know, those policies are going to work. Excellent. Mexico, one last thing is that Mexico would have done neither of these, I call it a double play, the troops and the uh, removal to Mexico would have done none of those things had Trump not used just raw diplomatic power, threats, tariffs, that sort of thing. None of this would have happened. So he was able to bypass Congress and find a way to effectively bypass Congress. We'll just hope that the trends continue. We're down about 28%. Well, let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and keep our prayers going because... We we uh, and the, the, this this crisis is is really really I mean this invasion is real. Todd, thank you very much for joining us as usual. Uh, once again, tell the folks where they can uh, look you up and read uh, more of your stuff. Yeah, cis dot org. That's uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, and you can also um, find all of my work at toddbensman dot com. Toddbensman dot com. Excellent. Thank you very very much, Todd. Have a good one. We'll get you back on again uh, real soon. Great to be here. Thanks. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez at Juan Salvador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got a good guest, a very interesting guest, Mr. Stephen Gushov, who is the executive director of Pro-English. And we want to chat with him about um, the uh, challenges to assimilating the hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens that are coming into the United States weekly now. And uh, how are we going to uh, accomplish this? Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking time to be on uh, on our program. Um, what uh, what is happening? Tell us tell us first of all about pro English, but then tell us about what you're observing. Sure. Thanks, George. First off, for having me. Uh, pro English is the nation's leading advocate of official English. And so what we do is we work through the courts and in the court of public opinion to defend English's historic role as America's common unifying language. And we work to persuade lawmakers at all levels to adopt English as the official language of government. Now, I'm here in Washington, D.C., just a few steps away from the U.S. Capitol, so I can tell you that in Congress, we support the English Language Unity Act, the English Language Unity Act, which would make English the official language of the USA. Most people do not know, and I include U.S. senators in this list, most people do not know that America has never, ever had an official language. Most people assume that English is. It has never been the official language. We are also uh, working at the White House. We've had six meetings at the White House, including one just last week with different aides to President Trump and Vice President Pence, because we would love for President Trump to sign a new executive order that would effectively repeal and replace uh, an executive order signed by Bill Clinton in the last days of his administration. Um, And what Clinton did is he basically mandated forced government translations and interpretations for anyone that receives any federal funding. Now, a study was done during the Bush 43 administration that showed that that cost Americans, American taxpayers, probably about $2 billion a year, billion with a B. That study was done 15 years ago. The government has not done any study since then. I think they're afraid to, to be honest with you. Um, and so you're looking at over the past 15, you know, 15 to 20 years, you know, since Clinton signed that, that Americans have probably been forced to spend 30 to $40 billion in forced government translations and interpretations. So we are advocating very strongly at the White House for President Trump to sign a new executive order that would make English the official language of the USA and to repeal the old Bill Clinton executive order. Uh, we were, Like I say, we're right here in Washington, D.C., but we also work all across the nation. Right now, 32 states have official English uh, in, in their states, um, and we'd like to see that get right up to 50. So we're working in lots of other states as well. And it's interesting what you said, George, because it does lead to something that the president recently said and how it relates to the 
this whole issue of assimilation and melting pots and diversity, etc. You may remember that a couple of months ago, President Trump proposed a new immigration proposal to have a merit-based system similar to what they have in Canada or in Australia or New Zealand and other countries where immigrant candidates, legal immigrant candidates, would receive points based on a wide variety of assets, including a person's age, skill set, education, employment offers, ability to create new jobs and hire other Americans. But President Trump said something very interesting, and this goes right to the heart of what you said before. Trump said that to promote integration, assimilation, and national unity, future immigrants will be required to learn English and to pass a civics exam prior to admission. And then Trump also observed that through these steps, we will deliver an immigration system that respects and even strengthens our culture, our traditions, and our values. And that's really what's at the heart of assimilation, to follow up on what you were saying before. Um, my grandfather was a legal immigrant from Estonia in the years prior to World War II. He's no longer with us, but he loved America. He loved to tell the story of him coming to America, seeing the Statue of Liberty, becoming a citizen. He embraced this nation. I moved up here to Washington from Florida. I used to live in Orlando, and I met with many, many Cuban Americans who escaped communism in, in Cuba. They, come up, they came up here to Orlando or Miami or wherever. One of the very first things they did was that they immersed themselves in English, learned English, got an education, and they're living the American dream now. These are people, these immigrants, whether we're talking about my grandfather 75-odd years ago, more than 75 years ago, or other Cuban-Americans in recent years and decades who have come to this nation, have immersed themselves in English, have embraced American culture, have assimilated to this culture, and are now living the American dream. That's very different from much of what we see today, where a lot of immigrants, legal and illegal both, seem to just want whatever they can get out of the USA in terms of it being a, a gimme society. Very, very different, a lot of what we're seeing today, and that's what the president was alluding to when he made those comments. You know, that's the part that worries me, because, you know, with these millions of, uh, I mean, there's an estimated 32 million illegals, okay? That's number one. But with hundreds of thousands arriving every day nowadays, uh, you know, these folks uh, are, are not the cream of the crop educationally or uh, professional. Uh, and they, um, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to mix uh, into our society, what they're going to do for a living, what they're going to do for education. How are we going to handle this? How are we going to integrate them? The other thing is that I don't see Telemundo and Univision doing anything uh, to, uh, to help us to uh, get them to learn English. Oh, they're not going to do anything. Yeah, I would not hold your breath, George, waiting for Telemundo or Univision to try to do anything with regard to cultural assimilation or English immersion, just the opposite. Um, and that's one of the things that we're seeing and one of the things that we're battling all across the nation. Um, you know, California, for instance, they want to return to bilingual education now. Um, a little over 20 years ago, in 1998, California voters approved Proposition 227, and that required schools to teach non-English-speaking children, immigrants, the English language as rapidly as possible. Well, now they want to go back to bilingual education instead. Um, right here in the District of Columbia, same thing. They want to go to bilingual education here in the District of Columbia as well. We did have one victory uh, recently in Arizona, where in Arizona, the legislature the Arizona legislature failed to repeal the state's English immersion teaching programs, which is known as structured English immersion in Arizona. And so that was a victory where in the Arizona Senate it was never voted on, but they were trying to do the same thing in Arizona. And, you know, something we say is that the issues of official English in the USA and cultural assimilation, you know, are really tied together. Again, you know, a lot of our detractors, you know, I do a lot of interviews, a lot of our detractors say, oh, you're not compassionate at all. You have no compassion for immigrants. Immigrants. Just the opposite. When we advocate for English to be the official language of the USA, and that's just for governmental operations only, we're not prohibiting the speaking of foreign languages anywhere. But when we advocate for official English and we advocate for immigrants to come to this nation and immerse themselves in English and become proficient in English, what does that mean for them? It means that they're going to learn the language faster. They're going to have better job opportunities. They're going to be able to make more money. They're going to be in a better position to support their family. They're not going to have to rely on government welfare. They're going to have a better opportunity to achieve the American dream than if they were just situated 
in a linguistic ghetto, which is what a lot of people really want them to, to be and to exist in. So we are the compassionate ones by advocating for English language immersion, English language proficiency, supporting what the president wants to do in terms of his new immigration proposal with learning English. That is showing more compassion to immigrants because it gives them a better opportunity to achieve the American dream. And cultural, assimilata- cultural assimilation goes part and parcel with that as well. Because when you come to this nation, not only should you learn the language, but you should embrace the culture as well. That doesn't mean that you totally forget about whatever land or country that you came from. You can still embrace your own native traditions, cultures, holidays, celebrations, whatever, um, but you become an American. You become an American and you embrace American culture. You see what's happening today where so frequently it's very much in vogue to slam the founding fathers, to talk terribly about them, to talk terribly about many great Americans from our past. Well, I think that's a part of the reason why you're seeing this pushback that we're seeing here in Washington in particular by many people who want to, who don't support official English, who don't care about cultural assimilation. But if we don't care about those things, if we don't push for official English, if we don't push for immigrants to embrace America and what it stands for, then we're just going to become like the Tower of Babel. We will have immigrants, no matter where they're from, whatever language they speak, to be in little linguistic ghettos all across this nation. And again, that's the Tower of Babel, and it's not good for the USA if that happens. Well, I would go a step further and call it uh, balkanization. I mean, we become yeah, exactly. we become tribes yeah, I mean, unto ourselves. Our friends in the north in Canada, you know, the, the, the challenges that they have had with, with French and English there, we're headed down that same pathway. We cannot, you know, I, I cannot remember which I learned first, uh, whether it was Spanish or English, but I do remember very clearly that I was supposed to speak proper English whenever I said ain't Oh, my gosh, they would correct me. And these were Spanish-speaking parents. So, uh, you know, this this whole idea that somehow it is racist or ethnically uh, uh, offensive uh, for us to have a common language, I think it's, it's so crazy, particularly when we've got hundreds of thousands of people come, coming into the, into the country uh, weekly, if not daily. Well, exactly. And to add to your point, George, remember, too, and I learned this, I lived for many years in South America, where, you know, I spoke Spanish everywhere. I didn't demand that people interpret and translate into English for me. I learned the local language. Um, and But here's the thing. English, in addition to being the historic, common, unifying language in the USA, also is the international language of business and commerce and finance. And if you travel anywhere in this world, you'll see that it is very important to know English from an economic standpoint as well. And it goes back to the point I made before, where if you learn English and immerse yourselves in it, you're going to have a better chance to make more money, to help out your family and be a better position to achieve the American dream. But not just in in America, throughout Europe, throughout Latin America throughout the Far East and Asia. Right. Right. Same thing occurs. And so that's more reason for someone to learn English where they can prosper not only in the USA, but also elsewhere all around the world. Correct. Here at, uh, we've only got about uh, just a few more seconds. Uh, Stephen, we're, we're talking with, with Mr. Stephen uh, Gushoff, who is the uh, executive director of uh, Pro English. Uh, Stephen, tell, tell the folks how they can uh, read more uh, about you and your organization. Absolutely. People can go to our website, proenglish.org. Again, that's proenglish, all one word, dot O-R-G. Excellent. Thank you very much for coming on our show and enlightening us. And um, let's, uh, let's get you back on again as this, uh, as this invasion continues and we try to figure out how we're going to, uh, to uh, keep our country together. Thanks, Thanks a lot. George. My pleasure. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador, thank you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. 
righty, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio. And we've got a very special uh, guest with us that, um, frankly, I've been trying to get him on for a while. He's a hard man to catch because he's so busy. Uh, we've got Dr. Uh, Mike Vickers, uh, who is chairman of Texas Board of Volunteers down in Falfurias. And uh, I wanted to get him on uh, to chat about what is going on in uh, his neck of the woods, what his organization is up to, and and what um, you know what he can tell us about uh, what is going on there in 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 his part of the of uh, his border. Uh, Doctor Vickers, welcome to the show. Please talk to Richard, us. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm sorry I hadn't been able to get back with you, but uh, been busy, busy. But uh, anyway, uh... that's great. Doctor Vickers, tell us exactly. Tell tell us what is the Texas Border Volunteers? How how did it come come about? And uh, what is it that uh, you're you, you're doing? Well, we started uh, a group of us started back in uh, 2006. So you know we're approaching our anniversary of going out on private property, wiggling trails, human smugglers and uh, drug smugglers coming through private property, not only in Brooks County but in uh, many counties up and down the border. We go as far as uh, Eagle Pass and uh, uh, over around uh, all of these checkpoints that come up from the border border area we're watching private property where all these hundreds of trails lead up from the from the border and uh the smugglers are, are using i mean back in when we first started in uh, 2006 right off the bat the first month that we were out we identified over 600 smuggling trails on private property just between laredo and the coast and this is what we do we go out uh certain times just to watch these trails and uh, report the criminal activity uh, our first call is to the Border Patrol, and we uh, we have a specific operating protocol. We don't uh, engage or the, or the smugglers. We stay concealed. We have a specific uh, uniform that we wear comparable to the National Guard. Um, and in many cases, uh, they walk right by us. We can almost reach out and touch them. We don't uh, let them know that we're there. And uh, we report the... Uh, um, that activity to the Border Patrol. We uh, give them the number of people that are involved in the group. Uh, we give them a specific uh, location, they have a specific location, GPS coordinate, uh, where this group is, which way they're headed. And uh, uh, when the Border Patrol show up, we help them uh, get them apprehended. We, uh, uh, in many cases, let them use our night vision equipment uh, and we'll uh, assist them in uh, uh, spotting these individuals and uh, getting them apprehended. Gotcha. Uh, you know, there has been a lot of discussion about militias, uh, about uh, militias stopping and harassing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the illegal aliens. Uh, you guys don't don't get involved in any of that. You're just you're just kind of like reconnaissance. Is that true? Yes, that's exactly right. We do not try to engage. However, uh, many times uh, by the time the we see the uh, the group. Uh, in a lot of instances, the coyote, coyote has already left the group, and they're lost. And, uh, and we can tell that they're they're lost. And uh, uh, you know, they'll give up to us, and and we'll uh, ask them to sit down or kneel down. We'll give them water, uh, and and make them wait until the border patrol come and pick them up. We have a lot of scenarios like that. Um, but uh, to answer your question about these other border groups, we have been asked by many border groups to to come in with us, and we do not allow that. In fact. Our uh, our volunteers are not allowed to be a part of any other border group, and we don't allow any other border group to be. And there's a reason for that. Uh, early on, when we first started, there were like four or five Minutemen groups, and uh, we were constantly getting uh, calls from the Border Patrol uh, reporting that uh, these other groups were reporting traffic and you know, they had guns on them and things like that. This is entirely different than than uh, what our operating protocol is. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, we immediately, right at, as soon as we got started, we uh, aligned ourselves with, uh, with uh, law enforcement, and that would be the Border Patrol, the Texas Rangers, the Sheriff's Department, the DPS, and uh, have operated that way ever since. And, and our strict operating protocol, where we don't engage... Uh, we report all that criminal activity to law enforcement. We back off and then help them when they show up. Uh, has uh, has really been a, a favorable way to work with law enforcement, and we've been well received by all of those agencies that I just mentioned. Uh, we work with them hand in hand, and uh, uh, they know who we are. And it's also uh, 
uh, a positive thing for the landowners. The landowners trust us. They know we're not going to put them in a in a legal situation by trying to apprehend somebody or trying to get something or somebody gets hurt. Uh, on their private property, so uh, we've been well received in that uh, aspect as well. And this is one of the reasons why we don't trust anybody else from any other group to come in with us. So we uh, uh, we do all of this by ourselves. There's probably as many as 300 of us. Uh, any given op, uh, you know, we could have uh, 30 individuals or so show up for the op. They're all volunteers, and and with those uh, volunteers, uh, that number even, uh, we can uh, uh, report enough traffic to actually overwhelm the border patrol's resources. So uh, this is basically how we operate. Let me let me ask you another question because um, you've been doing it since 2006. I mean, that's that's 13 years now. Um, what changes have you seen? Uh, in the uh, immigration crisis that we've got going, I mean, you've lived down there for a long, long time. Um, but uh, what are, or, or what have you been seeing? Whatever you, what, what, what history can you give us? Well, uh, number one, uh, when we first started, there was a there was a big gap between uh, the different law enforcement agencies. The Border Patrol operated uh, a certain way. The DPS and Texas Rangers uh, operated a certain way. They didn't have radio contact with each other. And uh, for five years, we actually did the border, the drawbridge camera project for the Texas Rangers. And during that period of time, we put the cameras out, the Texas Rangers and the Border Patrol monitored those cameras. And in, and, and out of that, for five, five years, we we operated, uh, monitored the the cameras, changed them, moved them around. Uh, thousands and thousands of illegal aliens and 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 uh, tons and tons of uh, narcotics and drugs uh, were confiscated and, and people apprehended as a result of these camera hits. Uh, during that period of time, we were able to, to to establish a good relationship between state law enforcement and the border patrol, and it became such a powerful and, and a great project as far as success, uh, eventually uh, they merged together, and now the uh, Texas Rangers supply those cameras and uh, monitor them there in, uh, in Austin at the, at, at the DPS uh, center there off of Lamar, uh, uh, using uh, state guardsmen to watch these cubicles and watch these cameras, and the Border Patrol also watch them. And now the Border Patrol put them out. They uh, move them around, did what we did for five years, changed the batteries out, uh, and it's, be- it's become a great working relationship between the state and the federal agencies as a result of us uh, uh, working, all of us working together during this uh, first five-year period of these cameras. We started out with uh, 20 cameras, and now they have over 4,000, and they're probably going to go to 10,000. It's been a great project. There's been hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens, you know, criminals and uh, drug smugglers apprehended and, and drugs confiscated as a result of this Drawbridge camera pro- program. Also, the disposition of the of the perpetrators has changed. Over the years, they've become more uh, bold and, uh, and uh, threatening. And, uh, I mean, we've got people coming in here from all over the, the planet. And uh, uh, now, uh, you know, uh, because of the political atmosphere, uh, you know, a lot more Border Patrol agents are being assaulted. Uh, we've had some occasions and situations where even our people were threatened. Uh, and so the disposition of the perpetrators has gotten worse. So this is something that we're, we're Going forward, this is something that we're having to be very cautious with. So, so uh, it's dangerous out there. Uh, we've actually had uh, situations where some of them have uh, weapons on them, a lot of gang members, and uh, it, it's 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 getting worse. So, the vo- you you would you say that the volume of the the number of people has gone up as well as the level of danger? Uh, it has, and uh, since these asylum seekers have started uh, coming in, uh, the border patrol our Border Patrol station here in uh, in Brooks County. We probably have 400 agents. Over half of them have been sent down to the Rio Grande Valley along the river to process asylum seekers. And what that has done, it has removed a lot of our brush crews uh, that answer to our calls whenever we have uh, our ability to get 
uh, agents out there in a timely fashion to get these groups picked up or, or get these individuals caught. And it's it's that way all across the uh, Texas border now in neighboring Kennedy and Clayburg County and Jim Hall County, Webb County, it's the same thing. Uh, most of our agents are, are down there pro- processing these asylum seekers and uh, the Border Patrol are, are really compromised on being able to uh, uh, respond to calls from ranchers and our border volunteers to, to, to come out and apprehend and, and intercept that traffic. Okay. So it's, it's getting real dangerous out there a lot of times in a lot of situations, and uh, the ranchers are on their own to take care of themselves. Let me, let me ask you this uh, here in our closing minute. Let me ask you this. What do you think needs to be done to address this problem from your perspective as both a rancher and a, and a border volunteer? What do you think needs to be done? At number one, for sure, we've got to shut this asylum loophole so that they, uh, you know, those people won't be coming. Because right now, what we're dealing with, we're not dealing with the family units that can give up for asylum. We're dealing with the criminal element and the ones that cannot uh, uh, claim asylum. So uh, the, the disposition of the people that are coming through now are the ones that cannot claim asylum and that cannot come in here any other way except through coyotes and, and paying the cartel to bring them in here. So they're ready to fight whenever they, uh, they show up. But uh, we need more border agents. We need at least 150 or 200 more here in Brooks County alone. Over a thousand more in the in the Rio Grande Valley sector and the Laredo sector and every Texas sector. Uh, they need more equipment and uh, they need more support in the in the in the form of uh, more pay, more after more after hours and overtime pay, and more equipment. Uh, and that's a start. Wow. And then uh, we need to we need to we need to be able to close this border down, and we're going to have to have more manpower and more resources to do so. Gotcha. Dr. Vickers, thank you very much for joining us today. Tell the folks uh, where they might be able to read about uh, Texas Border Volunteers. Yes, yeah, thank you, George. We're, uh, you can go, we have a website. It's uh, org. And anybody that's interested, we have a, uh, uh, you have to have a concealed handgun permit or a concealed carry license acceptable here in Texas. And then you go through a vetting session, and then uh, on your first op, we have training sessions that we put people through, a PowerPoint op, uh, uh, presentation that they need to watch and uh and then they can uh come in and help so uh anyway uh, uh we'd love to have uh, more volunteers we right. need more manpower ourselves right. and that uh, we more need more resources uh, we uh <laughs> we're totally self-supporting and we utilize uh, uh donations to be able to buy our, buy more light uh more night vision equipment uh, more uh atvs and equipment to be able to get out in some of these uh uh, far off uh, areas and, and uh, difficult areas to reach, other than in four wheel drive, gotcha. a lot of this private property. So, uh, yeah. anyway, go to our website and, and see what we do. Uh, we need all the help we can get. All right, we we need to we need to uh, to close out. But uh, Dr. Vickers, thank you very very much for coming on the show. Once again, folks, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you now. KLUP nine thirty AM radio, the answer. We've been chatting with Dr. Mike Vickers from the Texas Board of Volunteers down in Brooks County. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com salemnow.com